Hallo, es ist Wochen zu wissen, wo ein Necessary ist. Es ist Premier Podcast Series und eventuell everyone to know about the National Disability Insurance Claim. I'm your host, Dr. George Talaforis, and on today's episode, we're reflecting with a special guest about the NDIS five years on. In March 2013, the Gillard government made the NDIS law in Australia. Here's a short excerpt of the speech made by former Prime Minister Julie Gillard. Over the past six years, the idea of a national disability insurance scheme has found a place in our nation's hearts. In March, we gave it a place in our nation's laws. Today, we inscribe it in our nation's finances. The people who have gathered here today from around the country to witness this debate know what this means. There will be no more in principle and no more when circumstances permit. There will be launches, not trials, permanent care, not temporary help. Disability care starts in seven weeks' time and there will be no turning back. I commend this bill to the House. So to reflect with me, five years on from the NDIS, I'm very lucky to have the Honourable Jenny Macklin here with me today. Uh, Jenny is known as, or by many of us, as the mother of the NDIS. And Jenny, thank you for joining me. My great pleasure. Take me back to 2013, um, on that momentous day when Julie uh, Gillard made that speech. What was it like for you as the Minister? It was both an uh, incredibly emotional day and also very, very exciting. Uh, as you will know, uh, it took a long time to get there. If you think back over the history of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, right back to the Whitlam days uh, before you were born, we had a proposal for uh, an insurance scheme, but the um, sacking of the Whitlam government happened and the Fraser government dropped the idea and it took another 40 years before this idea emerged again. And I remember very, very well um, back in 2008, Bruce Bonnyhady and Brian Howe coming to see me and Bill Shorten, who at that stage was my parliamentary secretary. And they proposed that we create uh, an insurance-based approach to disability care and support, that we get away from the um, crisis-driven uh, approach to disability support that had really uh, dominated uh, the whole state and welfare sector for the last hundred or so years. So it really was from that time in 2008 uh, you would remember we had um, the creation of the Disability and Care Council that Bill and I created to really bring a whole range of different groups together, disability activists, uh, carer advocates, um, 
providers, union representatives, bring them all round the table to start talking about what needed to be done in disability care and support. Uh, we had the creation of the uh, Alliance, which I think was one of the most critical things, uh, recognising that uh, over the last very long time we've had, we've had a really fractured relationship between disability advocates, carers and providers. And I think a number of you as leaders understood, leaders in the disability field really understood that you needed to come together if we were going to deliver a really big reform. And you did that. And um, so many other things happened uh, to make this day a reality uh, that also just made it so momentous because it had taken such a long time so many people had been involved and uh, uh, so it was incredibly exciting. It was exciting and I remember um, vividly, um, I think I was uh, speaking at the launch of the National Disability Strategy and I made a joke and I said, I'm here to launch the National Disability Insurance Scheme. And you were in the front row and you laughed and you said, not yet, George, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> you probably don't remember that as well as I did. Um, and I'm thinking that there would have been a time when you thought, maybe, maybe it's not going to work. Maybe, maybe it's too big a spend. Maybe we can't get the Australian people to accept this amount of money being spent. And, and I know that as advocates, we were trying to convince government at the time that it was an investment in people's lives. Were there times when you thought, oh, maybe it's, it's just still not going to happen? Uh, absolutely. And I think you're right uh, to have been nervous about it because it is such a huge reform. Uh, but there were many things that were done along the way that really uh, gave it great momentum. So we talked to, I talked a minute ago about the uh, Disability and Carer Alliance being created. Uh, many of you created uh, Every Australian Counts. So we had this fantastic grassroots campaign that was working um, not just in the community, but very, very focused on members of parliament, telling members of parliament just how broken the existing system is. I think that was a very, very important part of the campaign to get the NDIS. One of the things I did uh, was take into cabinet the proposal to get the Productivity Commission to do the big inquiry. Uh, to really do the policy and detailed uh, work on what an NDIS would look like. And I think history will show that that was enormously beneficial to the creation of the NDIS. We had an enormously authoritative um, organisation uh, delivering a report uh, that uh, really set the scene for how it could happen. Uh, I was very fortunate to have both Prime Ministers, both uh, Gillard and Rudd, supporting me and the Treasurer, Wayne Swan. 
uh, but still getting uh, $22 billion agreed to through the Expenditure Review Committee was uh, never an easy task and I can tell you there were uh, many, many submissions that I had to take uh, into the Cabinet room. Uh, I had to convince them that this was going to be an investment, as you say, uh, that would uh, transform people's lives. Uh, but with that amount of money, of course, it's always enormously difficult. We had to find the savings to pay for it, so I needed my colleagues to be prepared to make big decisions to pay for it, they were prepared to do that. So it was uh, a fantastically collegiate effort. I think the other thing is that, as you know, in the end, it was a bipartisan uh, agreement. So part of the excitement on the day when Julia uh, spoke was that every single member of the House of Representatives indicated there that they would support it. That was a pretty big deal. And uh, given it was a minority parliament, uh, it had been pretty tough to get legislation through. And here we were getting this huge reform through uh, with everybody on side. So yes, there were days when I didn't think it would happen. Probably some of the other very difficult days were, was when we were um, negotiating with the states, um, trying to get the states to agree uh, and to get them to commit to their side of the funding. Uh, but the, as soon as we got uh, Victoria and New South Wales uh, uh, and South Australia came on very early. So we had some very good early wins and once we had some big ones, uh, the rest came in. So, uh, but that was pretty uh, hair raising at times. It was a bit of a snowball effect, wasn't it? It was, yeah. 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 And, and, and you mentioned it for that Committee Commission. Mm. Um, I remember um, putting a lot of work um, into a submission to that yeah. and thinking that this is the key. Yeah. We need to convince the economists that this is a good idea because we'd won people's hearts. People knew that it was the right thing to do, but we needed to convince them that it was the financially responsible thing yeah. to do. Yeah. And I remember when those two big green books arrived in, in, a, in the mail. <laughs> um, don't know why that came in the mail. Well, I was going to say, you should have read it online. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what was obvious was that we had convinced the Palazzo Commission as well. Mm. And there were some very, very uh, clear policy directions in that report yep. that said that this was the right time, that if we continued with the old system, it would cost us more That's right. in the longer term, and that Australia uh, would benefit from this. That's right. And you'll remember that one of the um, key findings that so many of us uh, repeat over and over again uh, was that the old system was broken. Um, they had uh, some horrific examples of how people with disability uh, were being treated under the old system. Uh, I take uh, my hat off to the um, people who worked on the Productivity Commission inquiry, but also you'll remember that uh, they had an advisory group and one of the people who was very, very important was John Walsh. 
uh, and uh, his contribution, I think, uh, uh, should go down in history as uh, absolutely uh, critical to the success of the scheme. Yes, as it does, Tony. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the, and Zendos is now the, uh, the a member of the board yes. of the NDA, which is fantastic. But yes. We continue to have, have the voice of um, people with disabilities on the board. Yes. It's very important. So it's now five years on. Can you believe it? It's five years on. <laughs> um, Juliet Gillard said, and I quote, there will be no more in principle. There will be no more when circumstances permit. Now we have, um, however, it must be reasonable and necessary, um, which is part of the legislation. Do you think that five years on, we've achieved what the scheme set out to achieve? Are we on our way? Uh, I think we are on our way. Um, let me just go first to the uh, quote that you uh, have from Julia Gillard, um, that there'll be no more in principle, there'll be no more when circumstances permit. And I think the thing that people with disability should be very, very pleased about is that that commitment has been met. That uh, every government in Australia, Commonwealth, state and territory is fully committed to the National Disability Insurance Scheme. It is fully funded. There haven't been any cuts to the scheme. Uh, so this idea about in principle or when circumstances permit has not happened. Uh, and I think we uh, should all um, be very, very pleased about that. That's a really, really big thing for such a huge transformational reform. Now, that doesn't mean everything that's happened is good. Obviously, there have been some people, and I'm really thrilled to hear that your personal uh, circumstances are an example of a positive outcome uh, in the NDIS. And there's many, many other uh, individuals and families whose lives have been transformed. But unfortunately, there are many, many problems. There are many problems and we shouldn't um, shy away from that. Uh, probably the thing that um, distresses me most is the culture that seems to um, really permeate the organisation. It's very uh, much more bureaucratic than I would like to see. I'd, I would like to see a much more person-centred uh, organisational culture. So if there's anything that I find really frustrating and makes me angry about what's going on is that people can't um, have an ongoing personal relationship uh, with um, people in the NDIS, in the NDIA, in the agency, that uh, they don't feel they've got that personal association. Uh, many providers are very frustrated with their relationships with the agency. Uh, so it's that culture that I think more than anything uh, um, that needs to be improved. 
I know that um, the leadership of the agency understand this and they're trying to deal with uh, reforms to what they call what they're calling the pathways, the way you get into the into the NDIS, the way that you work through um, whether they will be, make sufficient changes is a bit hard to say at the moment. Um, there is obviously a serious problem with the government imposing a cap on the staffing of the National Disability Insurance Agency. We're going through this huge transition. Lots of people need to get into the scheme. Uh, we don't want any delays. Uh, we want people to get in. Uh, so it's a crazy time to have a cap on the scheme. And we also need, of course, to make sure that the staff are adequately trained, uh, that they're able to deal with the huge range of different types of people that are going to need support. Uh, we get a lot of complaints come to me, particularly from uh, families of very people with very, very complex needs, uh, people who otherwise end up in jail, people who otherwise end up homeless, uh, people who have very, very complex behavioural issues, uh, mental health, um, uh, there are, so there are many, many problems. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But there's also, we've got to keep our, um, our sights on uh, the good things that are happening for people too and um, just keep trying to address the problems where we find them. You talked about lifting the staffing cap. Mm. Um, the, the original uh, idea was that the funding would be spent on people with disabilities and that mm. we wouldn't want a, a huge uh, bureaucracy. Sure. Mm. So I, I, I'm just thinking to our listeners who might think that well, we don't want more and more of a bureaucracy, we want to keep the, the NDIS or the agency focused on delivering funding to people. Sure. Uh, what would you say to them in terms of the staffing cap? Well, I think the staffing cap should be lifted. Uh, it's been imposed by the government. Um, of course you want uh, as much of the money spent on services for and supports for people with disability, but they're not being if you've got a long queue of people who can't even get into the NDIS on time because uh, there just aren't enough planners to, uh, to meet the uh, demand or you can't get through on the phone, or you can't get your emails answered, or all the other myriad problems that exist because there just aren't enough staff, or the staff don't understand uh, people's uh, complex needs, don't understand the importance of doing outreach. It's one thing for people who are able to advocate for themselves and uh, uh, get in there and get a good plan for themselves, but it's quite a different story. If you're living on the street, you've got an intellectual disability and mental health problem, behavioural issues, you don't like bureaucracy much, you're not going to come in the door on your own volition. Uh, we need to be working hard um, to make sure those people get support uh, as well as those who can advocate for themselves. And the other problem that we see is uh a lack of housing. I know it's very, very early on in the screen, but um, we really need to see a lot more housing we for, do. for people. What, what, what do you think that uh, 
could be done to address that. Well, there seems to be uh, an enormous number of blockages, as you're very well aware of, um, in the provision of housing. You, you're definitely right to say, uh, as we know, there's a huge shortage of housing, but it's not, it's not only that there aren't enough houses, um, we don't want the same type of housing uh, as uh, was provided in the past. We actually want to really honour the promise of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which is that you should be able to have a choice. Uh, so everybody shouldn't be expected to live in an old-style group home, for example. Uh, if, if you want to live uh, with your mates in a in a, an apartment somewhere um, and get the support that you need delivered in that apartment, then uh, we should be able to, do, to make that happen. Uh, and all the other different types of options that people are going to want, just like the rest of the community. Um, so there are problems with making sure that people have got um, a range of choices, that we don't fall back into the old models, uh, that um, those people who are prepared to invest in uh, housing for people with disability understand that so that they don't actually just go and build uh, the same old thing. Uh, so I think we've got a huge range of um, uh, people who need to understand that people with disability have got uh, just as much right as anyone else to have a choice of housing. And I think you're absolutely right that there was a promise there that we would replace the broken system. Mm. And a big part of that broken system was the, the old group home models that we know from the, the uh, inquiries and the uh, work particularly around abuse that these are not necessarily the best places for people. That's right. Um, that that's one part of it, and you're you're absolutely right. And another big part of the promise of the NDIS was to older parents, uh, people in their seventies and eighties, who are very worried about what's going to happen when they pass on, uh, if their sons and daughters are still living with them. Uh, they're living with them often because there just hasn't been any other housing available. There's been, so there is an enormous shortage, uh, both of housing, but also appropriate housing, housing that people with disability themselves want. Uh, so I would say, I've been saying this to um, the Department of Social Services from the time I was still the minister, uh, get on with it, um, make some decisions, make it happen. Uh, it's a massive area of demand. And we know that the NDIS wasn't meant to solve um, all the problems um, in terms of housing. We know that there's a need for sure. um, yeah, the National Disability Strategy, for example, to do its part. Um, mm. It's a whole government issue, isn't it? Well, the National Disability uh, Strategy, of course, was uh, meant to cover all areas of uh, government activity, justice, education, health, all the different parts of life that uh, where governments provide uh, services and supports to people. And we know in many, if not all of those uh, areas, people with disability don't get, don't get a fair look in. 
Uh, you know, you go to hospital, you don't get looked after appropriately, you have to take your own supports in there. Yeah, you're rolling your eyes, <laughs> obviously, personal experience. Um, and so the list goes on. We know what happens in the justice system. Uh, that's why we created the National Disability Strategy. And unfortunately, this government's really just let it sit on, sit and rot, frankly. Uh, they haven't done anything. They haven't made any effort to um, make sure that different parts of government keep up uh, their end of responsibility to deliver to people with disability. And you're probably not too far away from being in government again. Um, you never get ahead the, of yourself. Uh, <laughs> let's say that you're, um, that um, the next uh, term is um, the Labor government. What changes should we expect? I know that you will obviously spend some time reviewing and consulting and, and making sure that you understand what the problems are. Mm. But what can we see? Can we expect to see some changes? Well, I think there's some serious issues uh, that have to be fixed. The housing one we've just spoken about, uh, the culture I've already made reference to. A couple of other big issues, though, that uh, have not been addressed and need to be, that would be a priority, is the workforce. Uh, we've just seen the Productivity Commission inquiry come down, uh, really um, reminding us that this is both a huge opportunity for um, people to get great jobs in the disability sector, uh, but we need to make sure that people are encouraged and, and um, trained to be able to get the jobs that are, are going to be available. Um, and I've been very, very frustrated that the government's been very um, slack, frankly, at uh, making sure that people know about the opportunities in, in the NDIS, know about the huge demand that's coming through for people in the disability sector. Uh, and of course, the reason we need more people is people with disability haven't been getting the support they need. That's why the old system was broken. People who were, gave examples to us that they were only getting showered uh, two and three times a week because they just didn't have enough uh, support. Uh, so there's a huge range of job opportunities and I think this government's really dropped the ball on making sure that uh, the workforce is ready f for this big expansion. I also don't want to see a hugely casualised workforce where um, people aren't properly paid. We need uh, a workforce that's properly paid, where it's a great place to work, uh, people with disability want um, uh, workers working for them who are well paid and happy to do their jobs, well trained, uh, and equally the staff themselves uh, need to know that they're going to have a career and, um, uh, and have a future in the disability sector. So I think this is a huge issue uh, that really, uh, in addition to the others we've already talked about, uh, really needs to be resolved. I think you're absolutely right that workforce is critical. If we don't have the workers, there's no point in having an NDIS, is there? 
Well, a lot of people <laughs> are finding they're just coming round to getting their second plans done and they're losing money because they haven't been able to spend their first plan and one of the reasons they haven't been able to spend all their money is because they can't get the services that were in their plan. Um, now that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. It's new, uh, the new providers need to come on stream, uh, there's shortages of the workforce. Uh, what we don't want to see is people's plans get cut just because they can't get the services doesn't mean they don't need them. Um, that, that just seems to me to be terrible short-term thinking. So uh, that would need to be fixed. Absolutely. But it's $22 billion and you're talking about um, attracting more people to the industry. Mm. Um, if you increase people's pay, if you pay them better, then the, our listeners might think, does that mean less services or, or smaller packages? Like the, 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 the pie of $22 billion is what it is. Sure. Uh, it's a complex issue. Big pardon? It's a complex issue mm. when you look at workforce and attracting people. It is, uh, but uh, when the Productivity Commission did its inquiry, it didn't base the costings of the scheme on uh, paying people um, badly or making sure that uh, people got less than they needed. It costed it on the basis of looking, what, looking at what people would need and making sure we had a properly paid workforce. Uh, we've got to be able to do both. and. Uh, we don't want to shortchange the workers and we don't want to shortchange people with disability. We've got to be able to do both. Absolutely. Just the last thing I wanted to ask was if you had the chance to do it all again, <laughs> not that you'd ever want to. <laughs> well, I don't need to, unfortunately. Hopefully not. Um, is there anything that you would have done differently in terms of uh, making sure that the NDIS was as good as it could be. We shouldn't have lost the 2013 election. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, I, I think what it demonstrates, what the whole uh, story of the National Disability Insurance Scheme and its creation demonstrates is that very, very big reform does take a long time. Um, it really took all of the time from 2008 to 2013 to build the case, to build the evidence, uh, uh, to um, create the campaign, uh, to get it successfully through the government and then through the parliament. Uh, and then of course it's taken since 2013 to 2021 it will be before it's fully implemented and uh, there's not another reform I can think of that's taken that long so uh, it's and it will need that time for it to be fully implemented right across Australia given the extra time in Western Australia particularly so um, yes it's been an enormous um, uh, project, if you like, um, but one that I'm incredibly 
happy that I had the chance to be part of. Well, thank you. As someone who is personally benefiting from the NDS, thank you for all the work you did. Um, well, can I just say before you finish, George, I want to say what a great advocate you were. Uh, people like you, Rhonda Galbally, Kirsten Dean, fantastic advocates that um, it would not have happened without you and the others uh, doing can, such... Can we mention Leslie Hall? Leslie Hall, an out. absolutely outstanding advocate who passed away far too young. Uh, fabulous. I can remember her coming and seeing me in my Parliament House office um, in, with uh, her very clear agenda, always uh, very, very clear, Leslie was, about what needed to be done. Uh, but all of you, all of the advocates, um, uh, I, could, I could list another uh, so many, but uh, I just wanted to say to you personally how important your role was. Thank you, Jenny, and thank you for joining us on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, Building Better Lives, for all previous podcasts and transcripts. We also love hearing from you, so please leave your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Until next time, stay well and reasonable.